0: Welcome back to What We Believe and Why. Before the break, we were looking at James chapter 2 and starting to dissect the relationship between faith and works, oftentimes portrayed as at odds. But is that the case, or is it a little bit more complicated than that? Let's jump back into our discussion. To lead us through the important dynamic of faith versus works, here's George.
1: In what we've heard James say about faith and works He's drilling home a key point about faith, works, covenant, and relationship with God. Yet some Christians still insist that since Abraham was justified by his faith, it is our faith in Jesus alone that makes us right with God and is therefore sufficient. It's as if getting saved is enough and sanctification, which includes works, is an option. But if we believe this half-truth, we've missed the key purpose of the law, which is the living out of faith in our daily actions. As James said, you see that his faith was working together with his works, and his faith was perfected by his works. You'll remember back at the beginning, I argued that the elements of sanctification shouldn't be stuffed into the requirements of salvation, faith. And I maintain that still. But here is James's point. Works are really important. They complete what began with faith. They are the outworking, the product and process of our sanctification. Faith is birth. Works are the living out of a sanctified life after birth. An odd notion that has arisen time and again over the centuries, and recently here and there among modern Christians, that somehow the single key to being a Christian is faith in Jesus, that having this faith gets us saved, and then our call is primarily to get others to believe this as well, that is really, really suspect, and it should be. Often the world and its needs are ignored or they fall far below the priority of leading others to faith. In fact, social action is often seen as the province of the liberals. It's looked at suspiciously, and it's somehow at odds with the true gospel, which is believed to be almost entirely about faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Paul is sometimes used to defend this view as against James, who is used to defend the social gospel view. Yet the testimony of all Scripture says that these two, faith and action, are inseparable. James says faith is perfected—the Greek word here means completed or made whole—faith is perfected by works. And this is profoundly the view of the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And we will continue to discover this as we press on. The Old and New Testaments do not disagree on this point, nor on the purpose of the law, nor on the requirement to do good works, nor do they disagree on the sequence of faith and then works, salvation and then sanctification. Only by yanking these out of context can we make the two testaments seem at odds. Let's expand on this by looking more deeply at the actual substance of the law. Rather than assert that it is no longer necessary, let's consider what it actually says. And that brings us to the Ten Commandments. There are 613 laws in the Torah, but ranking at the top are the Ten Commandments, written on tablets of stone when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to meet God. Thirteen sentences in Hebrew make up the Ten Commandments. Various Jewish and Christian groups arrange these various ways to get ten, and the commandments differ slightly in their versions in Exodus 20, and in Deuteronomy 5. But we won't go into why or how or who. We'll just look at the content. From Exodus 20, in the most common way in which it is delineated among Jewish sources, it reads this way, starting at the beginning. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me, and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now, let's look first at the first commandment. And note that commandment number one isn't a commandment, but an assertion of authority and power, which is why those that follow it are commandments to be obeyed and acted upon rather than suggestions to be entertained. Some sources, both Jewish and Christian, combine the second with the first into a single commandment, which is then actually a commandment with a preface but let's consider just the first commandment as enumerated above. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Jews believe that this declaration implicitly requires every Jew to believe that God exists and that this has practical consequences in how we conduct ourselves in everyday life as well as in the world to come. Jews believe that lack of belief in the existence of God excludes a Jew from the world to come and makes understanding and fulfilling the law impossible. Recall my comments a little while ago about righteousness and the lawgiver. If righteousness is what God declares it to be, rather than a creation of humans, Then, belief in the existence of God is a prerequisite to understanding it and fulfilling it. It is defined by God, not by our ideas or agreements. Because God exists, Jews respond to this reality by living with this belief all the time, every day, and must not say anything that could lead anyone to believe that God doesn't exist or that other gods do exist. And this is also reinforced by the second commandment. Nachmonides likened the commandments to the decrees of a king. Nachmonides, a famous Jewish sage. He likens these commandments to the decrees of a king who requires and deserves first his subject's total faith and trust in his wisdom and power, and then gives them the laws they are to follow. His authority over all things gives them confidence to act as they are commanded, even when they may not fully understand the reasons for the statutes or their consequences. They may well seek to understand these things, but their willingness to obey is not based on their first being persuaded of the rightness of the laws. The king who commanded is trustworthy, so they obey. Hence, when Moses reads the covenant scroll to the people, then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. The Hebrew behind this verse is really quite interesting. It actually says literally, Yahweh, we shall do and we shall listen. The Jewish tradition here is profound, and it's the bell of faith still rung in synagogues today. The rabbis interpret this word sequence to mean, God, we are willing to be obedient even before we hear what is required of us. Ponder this. It is deeply responsive to God, and we will return to it when we come together again next time.
0: Thank you, George. Next time we get together, we'll continue looking at the underpinnings of our faith. As seen through the Ten Commandments, it's going to be a good session. We encourage you to tune in. A study guide is available at whatwebelieveny.com. Think about your small group. Think about your Bible study group. If you're looking for a curriculum or will be in the near future, what a great way to challenge one another and sharpen one another by working through and understanding better the basic concepts of faith. Stop by the website, whatwebelieveandwhy.com. You can get your own copy of the book there. And we do hope you're going to join us next time when Dr. Koch comes your way with another edition of What We Believe and Why.